truth is stranger than fiction. A phrase often said, but rarely applied to those stories we are so familiar with from the Gospels. I hope that in this sermon you will recognise that actually some of the events which we claim happened, which we believe occurred, are nothing less than extraordinary. This sermon was first preached on the 24th of February, 2019, at St Andrew's Fairsfield and St Remigius's Royden. And the readings were Luke chapter 8, verses 22 to 25, and Revelation chapter 4. You are listening to a sermon from the Pilgrim Path with your preacher Samuel S. Thorpe. May I speak in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Gospel reading today is perhaps one of the most striking moments from Jesus' life, apart from his Passion and Resurrection. It's certainly one of the most dramatic. Jesus is with his disciples, disciples who would go on to preach the Gospel throughout the known world, instrumental in the birth of the church who will pass on the Christian faith throughout not just the world, but the ages, down even to us. It's a mind-blowing thought to realise that each of us here who believes in Jesus can trace the heritage of our faith all the way back and back, person by person, to the disciples of Jesus. Indeed, the world as we know it, our culture as it has been shaped by history, would not exist in any comparable way if these first disciples had not witnessed the resurrection of Jesus and preached the forgiveness of sins if we would but believe in him. I say this to make clear the stakes at hand in this story on a tumultuous and stormy Sea of Galilee. Sometimes there are small pinpricks of history, on which hinges the shape of the future, and this is one such moment in time. Although several of the disciples were experienced fishermen, as the gale heaved and the waves raged, the boat began to fill with water and they cried out, We are perishing! Despite their skill, they can't keep the boat from succumbing to the waves. This scene of a sea at storm encapsulates the chaos of reality. It might remind us of a Greek legend such as the Odyssey of Odysseus, who was constantly waylaid by fate and the gods while at sea, being driven off course and shipwrecked several times. The difference here is that while in Greek mythology stormy seas can serve as a useful plot device in showing the power of the gods affecting the lives of mortals, here in the Gospel accounts we encounter not just a real situation, but also we encounter a real god who acts from within the mist of chaos. Jesus is woken, for he had somehow remained asleep and he rebukes the wind and raging waves. They ceased, and there was a calm. This is not a comparative calm. It is not calmer than it was. The implication is of abrupt serenity. 
when a sailing boat is becalmed, there's not enough wind to catch in the sails, leaving the boat barely drifting as it rests upon the water. Jesus turns to them and asks, Where is your faith? And as he does so, the stakes shift subtly from life and death to something far more profound. This realization amazes the disciples, and they are afraid, asking, Who is this, for even the winds and the water obey him? It could be tempting to simply enjoy this as an impressive supernatural episode in the Gospel series of the life of Christ. But in each of the accounts of this incident, the commentators are surprised at how succinct it is. Three verses and it's all over. There's no embellishing or hyperbole. If anything, there's a hint of embarrassment. So yeah, this happened and we didn't know what to make of it at the time. If only we'd understood then what we know now. In this storm, we are vividly presented with the reality of Jesus, the incarnate Lord who has the creative power to bring out of chaos, order and peace. For when we look upon the face of Jesus, standing in the boat on calm waters, we see the face of God, the one who commands the storm to still is the one who has the authority of that heavenly throne we heard read about in Revelation 4, a throne which exudes glory and majestic power. He is worshipped now as the one who lives for ever and ever, surrounded by the company of heaven who sing without ceasing, Holy, 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 the Lord God the Almighty, who was, and is, and is to come. This is a key principle of our faith, that the majestic and holy God truly makes himself known to us, as one of us, in the tangible reality of our world. Glory clothed with humanity, humanity unveiling divinity, living, dying, and living as an eternally prevailing reality, of the love which has eternally united us with God, so that we might glorify him forever. Through the witness of the disciples, we encounter this God in the man Jesus as he calms the storm. Through our worship here today, we encounter this God in the Eucharist. And when we at last arrive in the new creation, we shall encounter and live with him without separation. This scene where Jesus calms the storm shows us both that he is God, but also that he is our God, and he is at work in our lives. In a very real way, Jesus is the person where heaven and earth meet. Through his physicality as a human being, who is truly divine, he opens our eyes to a fuller, more complete perception of the world around us. The world around us ordinarily confronts us with a narrative that we are just an individual, swamped by the scale of the world and therefore are of no consequence. You can vote for whatever you like, but your vote doesn't matter. 
You can recycle all that you want, but you aren't going to impact the health of the climate. You can spend your time going to church, but you're never going to make a difference to your community. Or so says the world. Encountering Christ exposes these lies for what they are. In Christ, we realize that we are known and called by name to love and be loved by God. It's a neat theological sentence from the curate. Yet I assure you that it's not just doctrinally faithful, but is and can be our lived reality. There was a time when I wasn't the confident curate you see standing before you with several years of theological training. At one point I was a hurt and struggling young man, wounded by a difficult breakup, distrustful of whether people were really my friends or if they were just pretending to my face and laughing behind my back. I arrived at theological college feeling like a failure of a Christian, struggling to pray as much as I thought I should and preferring to hide away and play war games on my Xbox in my room, which I shared with a guy called James. What I didn't know was that James had been praying for months for his future roommate, and looking back on things now, we would both say that neither of us could have coped sharing with anyone else at college. It was a blessing that we had been paired together. A couple of weeks in, I met Robbie, who, to be honest, would feed me whenever I walked past his room. His parents would send him food parcels of tasty snacks, and I began to spend time with him, partly for the company, but also for the snacks, but quietly and not saying much. Then his best friend Sam realised I was hanging around a lot, so we went for a long walk to get takeout from the only chicken place still open at two in the morning. And that walk and that conversation was basically an interview. The following day they both knocked for me and we went for pizza. They became friends I'll have for life and James was one of my groomsmen at my wedding. On the one hand I made some friends. On the other hand I made some friends who I learned to trust. Friends who have supported me and who I have been able to support. I made friends who I prayed with regularly, and we still pray for one another. I can say hand on heart that these friendships were shaped and guided by God, and that through them all of us grew into the men that we are today. And so when I say that encountering Christ gives us a fuller perspective of reality, I say that as someone who, through these friendships and other aspects of my story, which would take too long to go into now, has grown to see God acting in my life. I have grown to hear the voice of God saying that I am known and loved. More than this, that I am to tell you, yes, you, listening to this sermon recorded as a podcast right now, to tell you that you are known and loved by God. Jesus calming the storm is God acting in the reality of our lives. I wonder where you have seen him at work in your life, where you have recognised that he is showing you his love. How has this shaped your life over the years? 
And are you nervous about yourself, your friends and your family, and people you go to church with? If you don't know this, then maybe when you're talking with those you know, in your friends and family or in your churches, or online, perhaps you could share with them the moments where God has been present in your life, and ask them where they have seen God in their lives, and together we might glimpse the face of Jesus. For when we see the face of Jesus, we see the face of God, and we can see him in our lives. And if we haven't yet, then let us keep our eyes open to see when he appears, because our God acts within our reality. Indeed, we shall encounter him acting within our tangible grasp when we soon come forward to eat the bread and drink the wine, which in Christ are indeed Christ himself, given for us, so that whatever storms we might find ourselves in, he might calm us and sustain us in the presence of his glorious and eternal love. Amen. Amen.